Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhagen and Al Warren. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery on KCA 106.5 FM in Los Angeles. And of course, 10.50 a.m. in Palm Springs. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Joe Goldberg. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm admit to being distracted. Just too much great sports going on. Too much NCAA wrestling, basketball. I'm just, I'm going to do my best thinking books when I read me thinking basketball. You, you've got books to write. You've got people to talk to, places to be. Not, you know, you watch basketball after midnight. I and, and and I violated the Connor Sullivan rules. I like to talk about that because he doesn't do what I just did all day today, which is distract myself trying to write. So oh. well, that's all right. We we won't tell him. He's not here. Don't worry. Yeah, he, yeah. He won't listen. He's not listening. Not listening. He's busy. He's distracted. <laughs> He's, yeah. He's writing. Well, that's who we've got. We've got uh, another great writer this week. Here we go. So, Mister Connor Sullivan's got a new book out called Wolf Trap, a thriller. So thank you for being here, Connor. Thanks for having me, guys. Connor, you are one of those guys that wanted to be a writer, like right right from the get-go. We talked to a lot of um, writers in this field, and a lot of them were lawyers or doing something else, and then they turned into a writer of thrillers and, and things like that. But you, you've been someone that always wanted to be a writer. Yeah, pretty much since I was – probably 1920 before that I wanted to be a professional skier um ended up breaking my leg pretty good and that kind of ruined those dreams so it was uh yeah around 1920 that's when I kind of shifted gears and focused on being a being a writer you went to school right you went 
you focused on writing in school? Yeah, yeah. I went to University of Southern California. Went to film school. Uh, majored in creative writing and screenwriting. And uh, yeah, did that for four years, and then came out, and then did the Hollywood thing in L.A. and decided that wasn't really for me, and moved back to Montana where I grew up. And that's where I am right now. Did reading all those scripts and screenplays was a when you're in Hollywood help with your writing currently? Oh, 100%. I always say that was actually my real my real schooling was being a script writer, script reader for two or three years, read thousands of scripts, figured out how story works, how it didn't work. You know, you, you can read a lot of scripts in a day, you know, you know, a books a lot bigger, but you know, with a with a script, I mean, I could read three or four a day and that was like that's where I learned everything in my opinion, looking back on it. Is there is there like a formula to it, but you know, a lot of the scripts that you read for Hollywood and, and, and the series and shows and stuff, isn't there a lot of formula put, put, put it together in a certain way? Yeah, kind of. I mean, for what, it, what it did for me though, is it just taught me story, you know, it's how to, how to write stories efficiently, just because, you know, if you look at a script, it's kind of like the skeleton of a story, whereas like a novel is like the full body. You have everything going on in the novel. Um, and the script is just, you know, kind of like the pure story uh, that's like the skeleton almost of the novel. That's the way I look at it. So, so what do you think the most important thing is in a novel for you? What is the most important? Well, for thrillers, you know, I, I kind of, I try to write my thrillers um, as, you know, as page turny as possible, you know, and like, you know, it's 2023, everyone's addicted to their phone. They have so many distractions um, so, you know, I try when I'm writing, I try to, you know, make sure the reader wants to turn the page, wants to go to the next chapter, you know? Um, so that's kind of what I, re I really focus on. Well, do you write visually since you come out since movies, screenplays are visual things and do you write your books that way? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, most people with my first novel, Sleeping Bear, I had so many people say, you know, I could, it, it played in my head like a movie. And that was, you know, a very high compliment. Um, I do see my, my novels in my head, like they are a movie. Um, that might've been just from my, you know, that early training with screenwriting. You assign uh, actors faces to your characters. You know, I don't, I know, I know some writers that do that. I don't do that. Um, to me, they're just, they're people in my head, you know, um, but yeah, I've never, I've never done that. And I, I always, I have some friends that definitely like, you know, cast their, uh, their characters with real actors, but yeah, I've never done that. Well then, then how do you experience your characters then? What do you, uh, do you actually see them, but just develop your own sort of what they look like in your own mind? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, 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 they kind of just come to me and then, you know, as I work on the character development of the character, you know, draft after draft, they, they start to become more real and I start to know them a lot better. That's how it's. And then I do, I see, yeah, I do see them, you know, in my head. I, I know what they look like. I know how they act, uh, but it definitely takes a while. It's not like the first draft is, you know, they're pretty much like cardboard cutouts in a first draft. And then by the third draft, they're, they're more real. So what do you build out first? Do you build out your characters or do you build out the plot? Do you kind of, do you plot it or pants it? 
Um, I'm a little bit of both. I plot when I need to plot. I pants when I need to pants. Um, my third book that I'm writing right now, I'm doing more of an outline to it. Um, but in terms of character, yeah, you know, I would say my first book, I, I, it was character first. Um, even with Wolf Trap, my book that just came out the other day, um, I definitely had my protagonist, Brian Rome, in my head. I knew who he was. But then, you know, it was, it's more of a plot-driven book than a character-driven book, I would say. Um, there's a lot of characters in it, but, you know, there's a lot of plot happening to those characters. Oh, and Wolf Trap is a series, right? Going to be a series? Yep. It's the beginning of the series. I'm writing the sequel right now. Did you plot out the series before you started it? Uh Yes, a little bit. The first three books. Uh-huh. So I know where the first three are going and I have an idea, you know, if it's, if they're selling and I get to keep going with it, I know, you know, what four and five are going to look like um, in broad strokes, but nothing that specific. Well, so do you have like a subtext or kind of an idea underneath the story or the storyline for the whole series? Is there something you want the reader to, to take away from, from any of the the books like Wolf Trap or any of the future ones, or is this complete entertainment? Um, you know, it's it's both. Um, you know, I do view my books more as enter- entertainment. Um, I wouldn't say I'm writing literature. You know, that said, you know, I do have themes in the books that I would like audiences to latch on to. In the first book, it was more of like family dynamics and dealing with past trauma and how the family kind of, you know, deals with that going forward throughout the novel wolf trap is you know i i took a lot of real world um scenarios or things that have happened in the last couple of years geopolitically um politically and i kind of just put them into a book uh you know extrapolating and kind of tweaking real life events to you know fictionalize them a little bit but you know, I would, it'd be great if my readership was like, oh, I, I know what that's from. That's just like, you know, X, Y, and Z that I've been seeing in the news. So, Well, that's my next question. Did you, like um, Sleeping Bear, what, that's kind of a story of, of the of the Alaska wilderness, right? The uh, place where people get lost. You turn that into a, a full thriller. Is that how I remember it? It's been a while since I read it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I describe it as, you know, a woman goes missing in the woods thriller and it turns into, you know, a geopolitical spy thriller, which I've never seen before. Um, and that terrified me when I was writing it just because I was like, you know, I'm messing with two genres here that have never really, you know, gone together, but it seemed to work out. People seem to respond very well to it. And the second book is environmental current events. That's taken from the headlines too. Yeah. I have some environmental current events um it it kind of centers around the saudi royal family uh centers around the jamal khashoggi murder i took kind of all those real world events and you know again tweaked them and extrapolated like what could have happened you know and just put it into this big geopolitical thriller at what point do you take the current events things are happening in the real world and say you know what i'm a fiction writer i don't i don't need to be perfect on this i need i i can i can be a fiction writer yeah and i definitely had to do that i think going into it i was naive saying you know oh i'm gonna kind of just make it so like real world is mirrored in my in my fiction but at a certain point i was like you know what this is my universe you know i need to in order for the plot to work i do have to change some things i do have to you know manipulate this here and there. Uh, I mean, that's what, that's what's so much fun about writing fiction is that you can do that. 
Well, it's like, guess, you know, when you're doing fiction, you, you also get the outcome. You get to decide on the, uh, you know, how justice is served. Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of fun about uh, writing Wolf Trap is that, and I don't want to spoil anything, but it's, you know, what would happen if, you know, kind of Jamal Khashoggi was warned right before and how would that work out? So that's, that was fun to tinker around with. Are you, are you careful on what side you take in cases like that? You know, when they're, when they're so political like that, when, when, um, there can be two defined reasons or, or, you know, ideas behind an assassination like that. Do you sort of stay away from going either way? Yeah, I like to show both sides. Um, you know, even with, you know, in Wolf Trap, it kind of centers around the theme of climate change, right? And I have a president who is, you know, this very hard-hitting kind of progressive who is going to do anything she can to stop climate change in its tracks. Um, and the people kind of opposing that are going, you know, let's let's look at this realistically. What would what would that do to our economy and the in the world global economy? And that's kind of all those themes are kind of explored. Um, so, you know, I never, I never pick a side, you know, I even, I even say in the book, you know, some of my main characters are like, you know, they hate politics, the left, the right, it's all, it, it's, it's irrelevant, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're Americans, and we should be coming together, not completely fighting all the time. Well, is that because you're thinking of your reader? Or I guess the question would be, how much do you think of your reader when you're actually writing? Um, You know, I do think of the reader a little bit, but I also kind of have those views, you know, I, you know, you look at the extremes on each side and it's like, in my opinion, that's kind of the problem in our country right now is these, you know, these huge two extremes. And, you know, I think we have a lot more in common than we're all willing to admit it. So I kind of, I like to kind of show both sides um, in my work. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of it's the communication and stuff and the way we, we, we talk. A lot of people don't talk in person. And that, that leaves a big hole. And so uh, all sorts of things can be uh, said and done about each other, right? It's sort of a, a mess. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't win there, you know. What do, what do you think the, the most important thing is um, in, a, in a book? In a, for, we, for you, when you're reading a book, what, do you, what's, what is it that does it for you? For me personally, it's the emotional um, kind of toll that a book will take on me, whether, you know, a good emotion, a bad emotion, but, you know, we've all read the books where it's just, you know, it cardboard characters. It doesn't really, you finish it and it might've been entertaining, but there wasn't really like the heart to it. And I, I really like books that make me think and, you know, give me, make me feel an emotion that I wouldn't otherwise feel. Um, and those, those are definitely the, the type of books that I really, that I really enjoy. How do you find that heart in these characters that you're creating? You know, it's hard. So, you know, when I was writing my first book, Sleeping Bear, I, I think in, you know, one of my later, later drafts, I realized, you know, I need more, you know, kind of emotional gut punches here for my audience, my readership to get invested in the characters. Um, you know, and I have a scene probably at page 70 or so in Sleeping Bear, where, you know, I have a lot of people who email me a couple times a week and they're like, oh, I love that scene. It was so real. It was so kind of heart wrenching. Um, and it, it, it really, 
it really like it shows what my characters are willing to do for their family when someone is in trouble. And, you know, writing that was when, once I got that scene down and I could, when I was rereading it, I, I could feel it. I, you know, you kind of get, you know, goosebumps in a way, not because my writing was great or whatever, but just because it was like, Oh, like that's, that's a real human emotion. And we've all kind of gone through that at some point in our lives with our loved ones. Um, so, you know, hopefully, you know, I did it correctly enough. I do get emails every, every week about it. So I must've done something. <laughs> So that scene that that you're talking about just happened, or it, it came during the creative process, or did you say, you know, I need, I think this is going to be a good scene. Let's, let me let me write that down. Was it spontaneous or was it planned? Sort of a question. You know, it, it kind of was spontaneous, um, and then once I kind of realized, you know, once once the idea came to me and it, it went down on paper, I was like, oh, I can really expand on that. I can keep going with it, um, and that was kind of planned, like the. Um, you know, making it better from what the original drafts were. So, so when you said you're, you know, when you find that heart, like when you wrote that scene, how is it when you're writing people that you don't like or characters that are, let's say, evil or doing the wrong thing, and that how do you find that um, that that, that um, feeling that where people will believe them? Yeah, you know, I can't remember who said this, some writer said this in an I think it was actually Taylor Sheridan um said in an interview years and years ago, um, you know, you shouldn't just have good guys and bad guys. Like there are evil you should have, you know, characters who are you know evil, but they ha- should have good qualities about them because there's very few people in this world who are just pure evil, right? So you should be showing more of a well rounded uh person. You know, they they might be great to their family, but they're, you know, horribly evil to, you know, maybe someone else. Um, and, you know, that's something that I'm cognizant of as I'm growing as a, as an author, I do want to, you know, make sure that my antagonists are just as well-rounded as my protagonists. And that just takes a lot of practice and a lot of work. And, you know, I'm trying to get better at it as I, as the books keep coming out, but yeah. it's always, it's always about growing. Well, that's true, and that kind of leads me to my next sort of question is I only I got Sleeping Bear, and I felt that the setting was almost as much of a character as the characters themselves. Is, do you take care, Do you take setting as an important element as you're writing along? Yeah, I really do. Um, and in Sleeping Bear, you know, I, I get those emails a lot. You know, they everyone says, you know, your Alaska setting is, was like a character in and of itself. And I said, oh, thank you. You know, that's kind of what I was going for. Or, you know, in Wolf Trap, everyone likes the Montana scenes uh, where the book starts out. And, you know, I'm, that's just a kind of a reflection of, you know, where I live and kind of like a love letter to where I live. And, you know, the environments that I surround myself with in my daily life, I love to put into my books because, you know, I can I can definitely tell a reader, you know, who lives, say, in like New York City, you know, what it's like living in Montana through my books or like what it's like in Alaska. And I think it's really cool for you know, people who don't, haven't really, you know, witnessed that in their real lives, but they're able to experience it through, um, through my books, um, is great. So do you, do you have a favorite character that you write? You mean, in, like, do I have a favorite, like, looking back on my books, do I have like a favorite character out of all of them? Yeah. Is there someone that, that's, it's kind of your favorite, like, uh, that you like a lot? I, I really like my Jim Gale character in Sleeping Bear. I like my Brian Rome character, who's my pro- protagonist in my uh, in my new book, Wolf Trap. 
Um, I would say the, the most fun character to write, though, was uh, my antagonist in Sleeping Bear, Viktor Sokolov, this old Russian SVR uh, spy. And he was he's very evil. He didn't have much you know good qualities about him. But man, he was so much fun to write. So what was fun about him? Because you just just his evil stuff. He didn't because he had no no good qualities. So yeah, he was just eccentric. Um, liked to drink, liked to smoke. He just was kind of at the end of his life, and he was just didn't didn't really care what was going on. He was he was pretty much pure evil at that point. Um, and it was just so much fun to so much fun to write. So let me, Connor. Let me ask you. I know that you've wanted to be a writer since you you were a skier, but why? Why do you write? Is it a compulsion? Is it a business? Is it a, I want to tell stories? What is it that makes Connor write? It's this, I have to be creative in some way. And for me, my creativity is basically creating stories. Um, I'm constantly daydreaming throughout the day all the time. I mean, it's just how my brain works. And I have to be productive with it, or it just kind of drives me crazy. It almost makes me depressed if I'm not creating, you know, through storytelling, through writing. So it's just like, I would say it's almost like a compulsion. You know, if I don't, if I don't get my writing done in my week, you know, my, my goals, I just feel like crap. I always just want to, you know, have written, you know, and I do enjoy the writing process a lot. Um, obviously it can be, it can be very difficult, um, kind of feels like just an endlessly chopping wood, but you know, it is nice to, after a month of hard writing to look back and, and see what you've done. It makes me so happy. I got to take lessons from you because I find writing hard. I, I think, I think the discipline I find hard. Yeah. And I think, and I try to be very open with this, uh, with people, you know, with aspiring writers, you know, I do tell them, you know, it is really, really, really hard. I mean, I would not trade it for any other job, but that being said, you know, it is just, it can be unbelievably difficult. Um, and I think that, you know, for aspiring writers, not enough, you know, very serious published writers or very, you know, well-acclaimed or best-selling writers, they don't really talk about how hard it is. Um, so I always try to, you know, say that it is because, you know, behind closed doors, when I'm talking to my friends who are, you know, big time novelists, they all say the same thing. It's so hard. It's so difficult. You know, no one knows what it's like unless you do it. So I, I try to be very uh, vocal about that. Well, how do you get through the hard if it doesn't come to you naturally? I get through it just by showing up. Um, I mean, you know, you guys are both authors. Like, you know, there's just some days where it just it isn't working. But if you show up and you can get at least something on paper and you trust yourself and you know that eventually you will figure that problem out. You know, I always write myself into a corner and, you know, you can ask my wife, like, you know, sometimes it takes me a week or two to get out of that corner. Um, and it's brutal. I don't want to be, you know, in that position of uncomfortableness. Um, but, you know, whether it's my conscious or my subconscious, I do, you know, find a way out. So, you know, as a, when I was a young aspiring writer, I would just get so upset that, you know, I can't figure this out. This isn't working. Now I'm learning to trust myself a little bit more that, you know, I will come up with a solution, just give it, you know, some time and let it come out naturally. And that's been, it's been working so far. That's when you take the dog for a walk, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I do all sorts of stuff. Like I'll, I'll step away. Um, I'm, 
I take my dogs on a hike. I always just do something outside. I go shoot my bow. That's like a big meditative thing for me. It calms me down, lets me think, you know, about something other than writing, kind of got my conscious working. And then when I, well, go back in the afternoon, usually those problems will be figured out just by stepping away for a couple hours. Yeah, it's relaxing. Let's show on the other side of the bow coming at you, right? <laughs> yeah. Look out. Connor's thinking, shwop. <laughs> How does each book change you? How does each book change me? Well, I've only written two books. Um, you know, the first book changed me because I would say is the first thing I've, it was the first thing in my life I put kind of everything on the line for. Um, you know, I didn't really have a backup plan with my life. I wanted to be a novelist and I kind of put all my eggs in one basket. So it changed me by, you know, when I finished, I was obviously very grateful that I was able to finish a novel. Um, but it gave me the self-confidence that I could do it again. Um, you know, they always say you have your whole life to write your first novel and then a year to write your second. Um, you know, if you're a, if you're an author and you sign a deal with a publishing house, they usually want, you know, they usually get you in a two book deal. They want you to produce the second one as fast as possible. So when I finished sleeping bear, and I signed with Simon & Schuster, um, yeah, I had 12 months to write Wolf Trap. And Wolf Trap's a big, big book. Um, there's a lot of moving parts in it. I wanted to really get out of my comfort zone and uh, you know, try something that was not easy. And it was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. You know, I, I was writing pretty much all day for a year, every day almost. And uh, I learned... I learned a lot about myself and kind of my belief systems. You know, I, you, when you, when things are going great, you know, you publish your first novel and you can say, Oh, look at me, you know, hard work and dedication. Look where this gets you. And then, you know, I'm in the trenches writing my second novel and I got a deadline. So, you know, all those belief systems were tested and I just kind of had to, you know, adhere, uh, adhere to them and kind of practice what I preach. And, you know, it ended up working. So I was very, very lucky, very fortunate for that. Well, as being the novelist, acquiring the dream, lived up to your, your dream so far, lived up to what you expected? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it feels like I'm living in a dream, you know, just, you know, I, I don't, I'm lucky enough where I don't have to have a day job anymore. I write full time. Um, and, you know, that's, it, that's, that's also kind of a double-edged sword. And I had, I can't remember which author told me that they said, oh yeah, you'll see once you, you know, once you're writing full time, that's almost just as hard as writing with a day job. I mean, I used to write in the mornings, go to work and then write at night. And that's kind of how I wrote Sleeping Bear. And then all of a sudden I had all this time to write Wolf Trap and, you know, procrastination just kicks in, you know, and cause you're like, oh, I have all this time, it should, you know, it shouldn't be that hard. And then you know, you're on the internet and four hours passes and then you realize you got to go right. So I definitely, I'm very, uh, I'm very diligent now with my time. I'm very, I, you know, if it's my writing time, my phone is not in the room with me. I'm not on the internet and I'm just writing. And that's, that's, that's one thing I really learned writing uh, Wolf Trap, my second book. Yeah, that's what I was talking about at the beginning. I, I violated that rule big time today. Yeah. Phone, internet, basketball, wrestling. I just, my head exploded and I was trying to write. I know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying I'm perfect either. I, I can't. Yes, you are. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fun when you got, you know, all sorts of, you know, you got your agents calling you and, 
you know, Hollywood stuff going on. It's just, it's, it's exciting. And then all of a sudden you realize that you haven't written that day because you've been fielding calls and doing emails and all that stuff. So it's, yeah, I, I have to really guard my time. Yeah. Procrastination is my best hobby. And I, I got that one down. <laughs> oh, me too. And I, I always, and I do, and I do believe at a certain point, like to a certain point, procrastination is part of the writing process. Um, you know, writing, isn't just typing, you know, writing is thinking about your book when, before you're going to bed or, you know, coming up with an idea when you wake up and procrastinating, you know, your, your subconscious is still kind of working, but you know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, value your time when it is time to put, you know, words on paper. And I just read an article about procrastination was in it and it said it's actually you know, it's, a, it's a psychological, not disorder or whatever it is. It's, it's how dealing with stress and anxiety. It's one of the symptoms of, of stress, and anxiety, procrastination. So I'm all in on that. Double thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's important to, sometimes you just need it. Just like, you know, going for the walk or doing whatever it is to uh, change the energy around you, right? Um, I find that I got to have a lot of things going. So I'll have, you know, TVs running and music playing and dogs doing whatever and the anxiety is what helps create my atmosphere to write but i'm writing about serial killers so <laughs> so i'm in a different a world. anxiety there yeah. you know but this leads me to the to the next question of um how do you regulate that in a sense of um when things are causing emotional like if it's stressful like when you're writing about this sort of subject you know in the last couple of years you can say Honestly, that, uh, you know, with the pandemic and and politics and all this stuff going on, you can do it. There's an endless enough things that could be stressful and upsetting. Uh, how is it that you can focus on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to get across emotionally when you've got emotional toll like this going on just around you? Yeah, for me, you know, when I was writing Sleeping Bear, um, my first book, I, I deleted like all social media from my life. Um, just, uh, that's my chest. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just, I, you know, I know now that like the app, your, uh, if you have an Apple, uh, iPhone, it'll tell you on Sunday mornings how much screen time you average today. Um, I remember probably back in 2016 when I was really getting serious about my writing career, um, I was kind of keeping track of how many hours I was just, you know, scrolling on my phone or just not writing. And it was like, you know, three or four hours. And, you know, that was probably, it was probably much more. That was just kind of what I was recording down. Um, and then I just kind of had to be like, all right, well, what do you want more? Do you want to be on, you know, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or do you want to be a novelist? And, you know, I wanted to be a novelist. So I just, I slowly started deleting apps uh, over the course of like a month until I had nothing really. And then, you know, I, I wrote my book in that next year and a half. Um, and then the funny thing was, is when I, you know, I got published, you know, your publicist, the marketing team, they want you to get right back on social media. Yeah. Now they get to that one. Yeah. yeah. So then, so then that was something. So then I, um, you know, I'm trying to be very, uh, strict with, with what I'm looking at and what I'm consuming, you know, after, 
probably this week and next week, once all the publicity's uh, wrapping up for Wolf Trap, I will start, I'll just delete the apps again out of my phone. I'll still have them on my computer and I'll look at it probably once a day, but it just doesn't need to be in my life when I'm trying to, you know, write on a deadline, which I am again. So I think so. I think it's best just once a day in the morning or something. And then, uh, and then get on with your with your writing and stuff, right? Um, what's your research process? How much research do you put into something like this? Um, I do an unbelievable amount of research. Um, if I'm being brutally honest, it's just a form of procrastination. <laughs> um, you know, I like when I was researching Sleeping Bear, I didn't know anything about Russia, let alone Russian intelligence. So. I went down the rabbit hole of reading every book I could, you know, when I was writing the sleeping bear, you know, I couldn't afford, I had no money at that time. I couldn't even afford to, you know, drive up to Alaska and see what that part of Alaska was like. So I was watching, you know, reality, you know, TV shows like Alaska state troopers. I was cold calling, um, Alaska state troopers, uh, the Alaska Bureau of investigation, just seeing how things work up there, you know, and, uh, with, with wolf trap, you know, I had to really do a deep dive into Middle Eastern politics, specifically Saudi Arabian politics, the House of Saud. So I just I read so much um, getting acquainted with it. And, yeah, I wasted months of the writing process, just, you know, never kind of looking up from the books I was reading. Well, let me put two and two together here. Al's research question is. I procrastinate by having the internet on while I'm writing because something will come up and say, oh, I need to know if that's blue, green, red, or, you know, whatever it might be. So I stop writing, go out and do the quick research, and then come back. Yeah. Sounds like you get all the research done in advance, or do you do that game too? I do both. So I'll get it all done in advance. So I'll have a very um, kind of clear idea of where I'm going, but... You know, let's say like the other day I was writing a scene in New York City. So, you know, my character's kind of going around Manhattan. I had to see what the street looks like on Google Views. And then I had to see, you know, if I'm on top of this hotel, can I see, you know, the One World Trade Center? Can I see the Empire State Building? Like, where are they? So I do do some of that stuff. Um, one thing I'm really trying during book three is, you know, I wasted so much time book two researching and not kind of getting the story out first. Now I'm writing this first draft of book three. And when I don't know something like, you know, what the street view of that street in Manhattan looks like, I'll just write like TK um, to go back and I'll highlight it. So I know during the editing process, I'll go back and I'll fill all that in. But in terms of just getting the chapter out or getting, you know, the scene out, I will now just write it fully through, and then I go back and spruce it up a little yes, bit. Yes, I write uh, parenthesis, capital letters, more parenthesis, put it in red, and just move on. Just Yep. Because I can stall. <laughs> that is yep. exactly what it is. It's a, oh, I, think I'll look this, I think I'll start researching for an hour and a half on this one thing, because that's much more fun than trying to write this next sentence. Exactly. Is, is there a time you know that the book is done? You know, because you could keep on changing. You keep on kind of going, well, maybe I should do this, or maybe I should add this, or I need to explain this. Like, there's always, always those questions of level, especially especially when you're dealing with this. How much information do you give and how much is too much? You know, because there's a lot of questions. Um, is, there, is there some sort of 
guide you use or a point that you just kind of go, oh, that's it, that's enough? Yeah, with my first book, I, you know, it took me five years to write it and I rewrote it, you know, 20 something times. And you know, once that last draft was out, you know, I just got it to a point where I just kind of threw my hands up and said, you know, I don't, I don't know what else to do here. I'm, I'm, this has been my life for five years been working on this thing every day. I don't, I'm, I'm too close to it. I don't, I don't know if this is good or if it's bad. I hadn't shown it to anyone. Um, and then, you know, my dad is the first person who saw it. Um, and then he was, you know, able to say like, Oh, this, that, and then it went to agents and editors. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of rewriting processes and that with wolf trap, I knew it was done on the date. It was due to my editor. <laughs> so I just, you know, I got it as good as possible and it was sent in. And then, then you obviously do revisions with the publishing house. Um, and then you do first pass, second pass and third pass. And then it, you know, then it's out in print. So yeah, then you're out marketing and talking to people like us. Yep. Now you, hey, your fa- your father's Mark Sullivan, right? The, the author. Yep. Yep. That's my dad. So did he help you at all in this, or did he just gave you the motivation? To say, I want to, I want to be a writer too. Um, you know, I always get, I always get asked that question. I know, I know. I hate to pull a cliche. Oh no, 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 question, it's fine. But, no, the, it's but fine. you led into it your last answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if this was smart, but when I was writing Sleeping Bear he didn't see a word of it until I was done five years later. He never, he never read any of my writing. He didn't even know if I was good or not. I just worked for five years, just trying to get better at the craft. And uh, yeah, when I, he was the first person to look at it after five years and uh, yeah, he was very impressed. He uh, had some great notes. Um, But, you know, I think having him at, you know, being, he's a very successful novelist, um, seeing his work ethic, you know, from since before I could remember, he's, he's been a working writer since my whole life. Um, so I, I, I saw what it takes to be a working writer, just the discipline of it. Um, and he's incredibly disciplined. So I knew what the lifestyle was like. I knew what it took. And that's kind of, you know, that has been invaluable for me. Um, because writing is not, the romantic notion it's seen on in movies, you know, and everyone's always seen the writer in a TV show or a movie and it's, they just write a novel and it's so fun and easy. It's just the exact opposite. In my opinion, (laughs) it's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They all look good on the, on the show, but you know, um, okay. So now, so what are you doing now? So can people find you on social media for a while or, and do you have a website? Like where, where do people find Connor? ConnorSullivanAuthor.com is my website. Um, in my Instagram is Connor Sullivan Author, or maybe Connor Sullivan. No, and then my Twitter handle is Connor Sullivan Books. Um, and I do have Facebook just under Con- Connor Sullivan, but I don't do too much on Facebook. I'm more on Twitter and Instagram. I would say. Yeah, Facebook's for people Joe's age, old people. <laughs> I teach this stuff. I, none of my class for the last year even had. Any Facebook sites, they look at me like, what? Yeah. <laughs> they don't even think it's, you know, I tell them it's the number one social media platform in the world. They're like, you're kidding, right? I go, oh, no, I mean, I feel everything I do um, on the other social media platforms, it all goes to Facebook. So it's, I'm still, I'm still there. Yeah. It's not looking at it yeah. every day. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're just the young kids just don't get it. <laughs> yeah, the young young kids want flash and and quick quick little movies and TikTok. The, the old fellows like Joe's got to get his glasses on, then he's got to say what was that, and it's gone if it's just a video. Yeah, it's just doesn't work anyway. Well, so what's next? You got the you're you're in going into writing uh, the next book in this uh, series, I guess. That's what's kind of coming after this. Um, so I just signed a two book deal again with Emily Bessler at Atria Books under Simon & Schuster. Um, so I'm doing the sequel to Wolf Trap. I'm writing that right now. And then I'll, and then the, my fourth one will also be in the ser- same series as, as Wolf Trap. And then, yeah, after that, it's kind of, you know, see how the series is selling or, you know, if I can keep going or I need to shift focus, you know, I'll do that. But that's, you know, that's too far in the future for me to predict right now. Yeah, you don't know. Hey, are you keeping kind of a Bible now or some sort of a reference thing for your series for characters and peoples and and things? Because, I mean, if you end up going four or five books in a series, right, you you have to kind of keep track of that. Are you doing that right now? Yeah, I have have a lot of notes (laughs) written out um, in the writing application that I use. So it's, yeah, I'll have characters and physical descriptions and, you know, what they're like like that and things that they've done in the other book. So, but yeah, it's definitely been a, a different process writing a sequel. I've never, I've just written two standalones so far. So I'm learning what it's like to, to write a sequel. And that's, it, it's, it's easier in ways um, than writing standalones. And it's also a little bit harder because, you know, I gotta, I gotta kind of allude to what happened in the book before it, but not give away too much. So, you know, if the audience likes the sequel, they can go back and read, you know, the one before that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit trickier. Well, it's been a pleasure. We're glad you came on. We'll have everything up on our website. Well, uh, we'll have your book, your website and social media. So people can find you, you know, bother them, keep them from writing, you know, do all that stuff. Anyway, it's been a pleasure. So the book we're talking about is Wolf Trap, a thriller. And our guest is Connor Sullivan. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. That was a blast. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.